the single biggest barrier around being transgender is myself. There is a difference between understanding you're different, understanding what that is, and then actually coming out and telling other people. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Elevate Her podcast, which highlights positive female role models to empower and inspire you to achieve your full potential. Today, we are joined by Rosie Russell, Head of Environment, Health and Safety at Mera GTX, a gene therapy company developing treatments for patients with severe diseases. After studying chemistry and starting her career at the lab bench, Rosie experienced an accident that made her realize the importance of health and safety in a research environment. Rosie moved from working as a scientist to supervising health and safety in various labs, both in the public and private sector. Passionate about solving problems and supporting others, Rosie is also an accomplished mentor and believes in providing everyone with an equal opportunity to fulfill their potential. In this episode, we discuss Rosie's professional and personal journey to where she is now, how she came out as a transgender woman at a time where being transgender was looked down upon, and how she found meaning and purpose in her life and career. Hello, Rosie. It is an honor to have you here today. So before we start, would you mind giving our listeners some background about yourself? I'm Rosie Russell. I'm the head of environment, health and safety for Mira GTX. We're a discovery phase pharmaceutical company working on gene therapies mostly around inherited retinal diseases that cause people to go blind, uh, but also on some neurological diseases as well. So things like Parkinson's disease, for instance, where we're interested in. Before this job, I worked for the University of Edinburgh through a couple of different jobs. I've worked for the Institute of Cancer Research in London, uh, what was the Institute for Animal Health uh, in Compton near Reading. Uh, and I've also worked for Millipore, uh, which is a large life sciences company. Prior to all of that, I started out life as an organic chemist. So I went from being uh, an organic chemist, working in the laboratory at the bench, did that for about seven years, moved into lab management, then into health and safety. And then that's, that's brought me forward to, to where I am now. So where did your passion for health and safety come from? I I always laugh there and make the joke that I got into health and safety by accident, but it's actually true in my case. There was an accident in the laboratory that I worked in, a, a chemical reaction that went, well, not as anticipated and landed me up in hospital for four days. Uh, fortunately, I was wearing safety glasses, so I retained my eyesight and I was off uh, work for a month, recovering as a result of that. But I became very well aware of um, the health and safety department after that, because, of course, they had an interest in me. And I considered that perhaps rather than just focusing on my work, there were other things that were part of that work. So I got involved in coordinating health and safety for my laboratory. So I got involved in coordinating health and safety for my laboratory, realised that actually there is another side to 
being the scientist at the bench, and that is being part of the functions that support that. And when my funding came to an end and I was looking for jobs, I took one that was laboratory management with a strong element of health and safety and actually discovered that I enjoyed supporting others to do their science every bit as much as I ever did uh, being at the bench. And that then led me to go and do an entry level health and safety qualification. And then from there, the rest is quite literally history. But my interest in health and safety really started by accident. That is very interesting. And um, yeah, it's definitely a good story. (laughs) And uh, I'm happy to hear that you followed what you like. So as I understood, um, hopefully correctly, so you're working in a relatively new company at the moment. And you also live in Edinburgh, but work in London, right? So would you mind maybe telling us a bit about this? How, yeah, what challenges you face with this? Well, working away from home is obviously a challenge. You you are separated from those that you love. I don't have children, which does make that uh, remarkably easier. Um, And myself and my wife, we've we've always been ones to, to chase the interesting jobs. So we are very supportive of each other. Quite simply, as far as we're concerned, if you don't actually enjoy what you're doing, why are you doing it? So it's been much more about it's time to leave the job that I'm in, what's out there, rather than what's out there locally. We've always supported each other to do that. But something that we've learned in our relationship is actually to focus on spending quality time with each other. So often in a relationship, and there have been periods where we've both worked and lived in the same city, you land up in a routine. You come home, you make the dinner, you do the washing up, you sit down in front of the television, you go to bed, rinse and repeat. We don't do that. We focus on spending quality time with each other. We try to make sure that the minutiae of life is done remotely. We're fortunate to have reasonably well-paid jobs, so we employ a cleaner. But we've done that for nearly 15 years, and we started doing it. That, That was a bit of a pinch, but it allowed us to spend better time together. Your other question was about working for what is effectively a startup. Well, has been around for five years now where I think we're a little bit beyond the startup mode but we are still a very small company and I've come from one of the larger organizations in the UK the University of Edinburgh with 12 and a half thousand employees 35,000 students so that's quite a transition but what I would say is that working for a smaller company There's no assumption that we're doing it the right way. Because we're still finding our way as a company, the culture is still forming. The organizational processes are still forming. So if you can come up with a better way of doing things, people are very open to that. So as someone who works in health and safety and is looking to affect change to hopefully improve the health outcomes of the people that I work with, That's really refreshing. 
I can go and speak to one of the founders of the company. His office is a couple of floors above mine. Put a case to him for something. We're probably thinking about doing it the next day. The flip side to that is not everything is established. So trying to figure out how to do things sometimes uh, can be a little frustrating. But when you realize that the problem is there isn't a process for that, well, if you've got one, great, let's do it that way. So whenever I'm talking to new people coming into the company, I always say, if you've got ideas, share them, because we'll probably land up doing some of them. It must have been really interesting for you to transition from academia, where, as you said, there's like a certain, you know, ways of doing things and people are really reluctant to go to think out of the box and try new things sometimes. So it can be really frustrating to implement new ideas and you can, you know, come along loads of barriers to do that. So it must have been really like great for you to just, you know, come into like a new environment where, as you said, like you can just share your ideas and actually do them because there's actually nothing in place at the moment. No, and, and there's a real focus on development here. There's a recognition that unlike the university where there was a health and safety person in every department, here it's just me and one other person who's based in Ireland. So I cannot do everything. So that means people in the organization need to step up, need to take a bit of responsibility and wear many hats. So there is that real want to learn from each other that I would have thought you'd have found in a university, yet I find it here in the private sector much more. But I also just wanted to acknowledge what you said about that um, you and your partner are always there for each other. I think that's just amazing. And uh, hats up for that because there must be hard times. And I love how you said that um, you're just spending quality time with each other. I, I think the hardest time there was the nine months she spent in Abu Dhabi. That said, at the same time, it was one of the most rewarding times because she went and did something that she never thought she'd do. I enabled her to do that. And I watched, was able to watch the person I love most in this world grow. That is incredible. I, I also saw why I'm saying that is because my partner, he lives in Germany and I, I live in the UK. And of course, there are no easy times sometimes. But yeah, in the end, it's about growing together, seeing the other person grow. It's so interesting what you just said about spending quality time. That is something that anyone, whether they're in a long distance relationship or within a relationship where they see the person, you know, regularly or on a daily basis, that's something they can literally like, just take away anyways. Because as you say, we just set a routine and we don't acknowledge the partner that we have or we don't acknowledge the qualities because that becomes a routine as well. So I think that was a really good takeaway. I, I think actually it's also quite relevant to the, convers the broader conversation that we're having because it's about values. Uh, at various times, both myself and my wife have found ourselves in jobs that we weren't enjoying because our values and the company's values were different. Now, if you are not supporting each other to then move from that, you're then trapping somebody else in a situation where they're not able to fulfill their values. And I think if we're actually going to be happy in life, grow in our careers, pursue something that's enjoyable, then we really have to understand our values 
and be able to move when those values are not being fulfilled. Um, a bit more into your career you said you've jumped between jobs and now you're in this um, relatively new company um, would you mind sharing the the barriers you've faced in your career and as a life journey so far my first redundancy I think I would have seen as a barrier that's that's when I switched from being a chemist working at the bench to working as a lab manager and I, I really saw that as a barrier at the time I had seen that the direction that I wanted to take was that of being an organic chemist in industry or in academia. I didn't mind. But funding for sciences at the time was very low. Jobs were in very short supply. And I felt that I was being actively blocked from pursuing the career that I wanted. So The lab management job, whilst I did enjoy it at the time, was very much a second best. It's one of these times where it might not have been what I wanted to happen, but good things came of it. And I met a wonderful woman uh, whilst I was in that job who was the general manager, who took some time to sit down and talk to me about what a career looks like and really get me to think about, well, what directions could my career take if I wasn't going to be able to get back into the lab? And without even realizing it, she was my first mentor. And she opened my eyes really to what I'd said earlier on that Supporting other people to do the science can be as rewarding and fulfilling as doing the science itself. In actual fact, she also allowed me to see that I was better in that kind of role. I actually had some organizational skills, ability to think more broadly than the problem just in front of me. And that in actual fact, spending time at the bench as a chemist, whilst I enjoyed it, it was not using all of my talents. So that, what I'd have said, was the first barrier. But actually overcoming that with the help of another person opened up the rest of the career in front of me. My second barrier was also a boss. In retrospect, I don't know what, what it was, but it certainly wasn't really me. But he turned around and told me that I would never get anywhere in health and safety. At the time, I was doing the lab manager job with health and safety being part of that. I was actively looking to expand my knowledge and my training, and he just was not willing to support that. However, because of that, block that barrier and actually with the help of my wife who said well if you're not going to get it there go and find it somewhere else and that's the first time that I worked away from home it was when I went and moved to the Institute for Animal Health I got a trainee health and safety advisor job they put me through my master's degree 
they put me through a postgraduate certificate as well and some of the more technical aspects of safety. And I really was able to grow into the profession. So in both cases, I think those barriers were a benefit. There is a third one and it's a little darker and that's that I have at various points in my life suffered from depression. A couple of points that's got life-threatening um, and I am a suicide survivor. And my own mind in this case has been a barrier. The time when it got really dark was when I realized I was transgender. So yes, big reveal folks, I was not born female. I was assigned male at birth. And rather than deal with that when it was clear it was something I could no longer run from, I chose to try and commit suicide. And fortunately, I was not successful. I don't take my mental health for granted. I have to work at it. I have to take time. I have to look after my mental health. But it makes me far more empathetic, far more understanding. And it's taken me in a direction in my career that I'm just really glad to embrace. Because stress, depression and anxiety is 40% of all sick days in the UK. Work-related sick days, that is. So three barriers, all of which I think have actually transformed my career and made me a better person. Thank you so much for sharing those, for your honesty. Um, yeah, that must have been unbelievably difficult and as you said you came out a different a different person and and so much stronger and I also like how you say um, that makes you much more empathetic which I I totally agree with yeah I was gonna say thank you so much for being so honest and sharing all of these you know difficult things I mean I've suffered you know from mental illness myself and I agree that it's it, you know you have to take care of yourself like mental health everyone has a mental health and You have to take care of it, especially if you've, you know, fragile in that area. And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of discipline. These were like huge barriers that came up to you. But you had the right attitude and the courage to say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going to be brutal. But like, fuck that. I'm just going to like do whatever I want and like continue my road, which not everyone has the courage to do. So kudos to you for doing that. I think that's amazing. I, I think, though, it, I had the support. I don't take credit for beating the barriers alone. Somebody said to me at one point that people who like to help, people who are wired to help others, need people to help. So if you don't ask for help, you can't allow them to use some of the skills they've got. You know, and asking for help in a friendship is not a one-way thing or a relationship. It's a two-way thing. You help each other continually. So it's my support networks that meant that I had the strength to get through each and every one of those barriers. I think allies are people who we often don't see until they're actually right in front of us. We all have allies, the people who are speaking well of us, who are trying to promote us when we're not in the room. The people who Turn up on your doorstep when you're in the depths of depression and say, come on, you, we're going to the pub for a drink. 
real event, folks. Would you mind maybe talking more about being transgender and the process that you went through and maybe some of the barriers that you still face, if you still face any barriers uh, right now? So the single biggest barrier around being transgender is myself. There is a difference between understanding you're different, understanding what that is, admitting it to yourself, allowing yourself to do something about it, and, and then actually coming out and telling other people. I think if you speak to most transgender people, they will tell you that they were aware at quite a young age. But society teaches us that being right is good, <laughs> being wrong is bad, or being different is bad, being the same is good. So of course, children aren't stupid. They work out what it is that will get them through life with the minimum of uh, friction, I guess. And looking back, I almost certainly did that. Then as you go into your teenage years, sure, it's difficult. But again, you know, I was a teenager in the 1980s. This was not a good time to be different. On to university. Well, I wanted up with a girlfriend. So, of course, I'm normal. Could convince myself I was normal. So if I was ever aware that there were differences, which... I was, but I couldn't have told you what they were. There was enough that I had in common with the people around me that I would just compartmentalize. And your mind is very good about only giving you what you can deal with at the time. So it wasn't until I was in my very late 30s when my career was settled and I had time to actually think and process that I guess my subconscious just tapped me on the shoulder and said, Rosie, you've not dealt with this. At which point I really didn't want to deal with it, but it wasn't going back in the box. And I think that's a story that most middle-aged transgender people would, would recognize. In terms of then coming out, I came out as transgender around the time that there was a lot of noise in the media around the Gender Recognition Act. Because at the moment, to change your birth certificate, you have to have an entire portfolio of medical evidence. You have to have psychiatric reports. Despite the fact the International Classification of Diseases has moved being transgender out of the mental health section. It's remarkably difficult and a lot of transgender people do not engage in that because of how intrusive it is. And there was a move to change the Gender Recognition Act in the direction of self-identification. And there was a big backlash from a certain part of the feminist community saying that, well, men Abusive men will use this to self-identify as female, to access female-only spaces. So there's a lot of anti-transgender propaganda in the media about the time that I came out. So that period was very difficult and probably uh, contributed to my poor mental health. But I did come out initially, family, a few close friends, and actually got 
positive reactions. Including an ex-colleague who said, well, I'd always been one of the girls, so what was the issue? At work, my head of department, uh, so the head of one of the schools at the University of Edinburgh, turned around and said, well, I hired you for what's in your head. The rest is packaging. <laughs> and that was a 70-year-old professor who was absolutely up to date, I think, in his views. So I received a lot of support from both work, um, my family, from my friends. And actually, if I could filter out a lot of the noise in the media, transitioning was exactly what it should have been of me becoming much more comfortable with who I am. And actually doubting myself much less. So I guess that's that's my experience of um, coming out as transgender and transitioning. And it was not easy. And it did cause hurt for some people around me. But mostly it was accepted and it was the right thing for me to do because I was actually now comfortable in my own skin. I had assumed that everybody would walk away, that I would be stuck in the job I was in forevermore because you know they can't fire me because of discrimination legislation but I wouldn't be getting another job ever again um, and to be quite frank it's been quite the opposite because I can actually move to align who I am with who I feel I am in actual fact I've grown in confidence what I will say is that I am determined to give that back and I've received mentoring in the past. I now am a career mentor, but I'm only mentoring women. That is amazing. So the Gender Recognition Act. So is there something um, which you can tell us about what you would like to see changing in the future? I, I think it will change when society is ready for it to change. And I think the UK at this moment is time is not ready. Um, I would like it to move to a system of self-identification where you can sign a declaration of truth, magistrate endorses it, and everything can then change. Because the societal and emotional impact of transitioning needs to be detached from the medical process. Ireland did this several years ago. And there has been no abuse of the process. I think that the worries that people bring forth that some abusive male is going to use this to access all female spaces is a total misnomer. Abuses people will abuse. They won't go and through, go through some legal process that would then leave them open to charges of fraud or perjury. They will just abuse. So the uh, the case of Karen White, um, would you mind maybe elaborating on this as well? I'm glad you asked that because uh, she is an individual that is often brought up as an argument against self-identification. So an abusive male who was in the in, in a male prison, but came out as transgender. What then happened was, as an overreaction, 
they were moved to a female prison and were then in a position to engage in some abusive behaviour. In the case of that individual, the prison estate did not follow their own guidelines, which was to do a risk assessment, to actually work out that if moving this individual would be a danger, then that wouldn't be appropriate. All of the guidelines that are required there for prisoners in the UK, they all work if they're just applied. And I think that Karen White is... um, an example that there are rotten eggs in every element, in every part of society. There are abusive people, male, female, people of different colours, race, religion, gender, sex. doesn't matter. There is going to be a few people in every part of society who are just rotten. It just so happens because this was happening at a time when being transgender was in the news when they were talking about reforming the Gender Recognition Act. Certain elements of society latched onto that. I had something else that I wanted to touch on um, because I love this phrase that you wrote. I'm just going to read that part because I thought it was really good. Our image should be authentic. All those things in our personal history that we are not proud of, they are part of us, yet we carry on. There are evidence of strength and resilience. They make us interesting, embrace them. And I absolutely love that because it's really part of what we do with Michael as well. And I'm sure Michael will resonate with this. And I'm sure all of the women who are listening to this will resonate with this. I I really wish I could take credit for that idea myself. (laughs) But it came from the Women Leaders in Higher Education course and a talk that was given to us by a wonderful woman called Melanie Eusebi. She was sharing with us some dark parts of her history. But she said, I'm a survivor. Despite the things that have happened, I have persevered. I am still here and I am still trying and I am strong. You know, own those things in your past. So for me, we've talked about me being transgender. We've talked about my mental health issues. We've talked about the fact that I got diverted off the course of being a research chemist. Didn't want any of that. You know, when I was younger, I just wanted a nice, quiet, simple life. Go to university, start a job as a research chemist, retire. But life's not like that. And with the help of many other people, I have found that I can persevere. I can carry on. But I could hide all of it. And if I did that, I wouldn't be authentic. I wouldn't be me. I would only be part of me. More to the point, as someone who is a senior woman in her field, hide that I've had mental health problems. Well, people think that mental health problems are a barrier to advancement. They are not. Your technical ability might be. Your mental health well-managed, not a barrier. So own your identity. You are who you are and you are wonderful because of it. Yeah, love that. Thank Thank you. you.
And I did have um, also another question, which was what tips or advice you can give to people who just want to, to better support friends or family or colleagues and feeling open and true to themselves and, and just honest? Um, I think it's take a step in. Now, when it comes to mental health, people say, oh, what, why didn't people reach out? Well, the answer is you don't feel that you can. So it's incumbent on others to reach in. Reaching out is a misnomer. Reach in. If you have somebody who has something that marks them out from the crowd, learn about it. If the person is open to it, then discuss it. But a lot of the time, just be an ally. Just be there. Make it possible for that person to exist in that space without having to be different. To be a good ally to other people, you don't need to go and shout it from the rooftops. You don't need to go and challenge other people face to face about views that might be unhelpful. All you need to do is be there and be willing to be there. I think that's like a perfect way to wrap everything that you've been saying so far. Um, so we have a signature question we ask um, our guests. So our question to you would be, um, what is your favorite word or quote and why? A desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world. John le Carre. I'm Ooh. really impressed. That came out of the boom. <laughs> <laughs> that was like, the fastest response we've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> you I, work, I work in health and safety. And a lot of the time that involves desk work. But my job is to manage and reduce risk. And the risk is not being created in my office. It's being created on the manufacturing floor, in the research and development labs, in the goods in department where people are lifting and carrying. My desk is a very dangerous place from which to view the world. I need to get out from behind it and go and see what's going on. So this yeah. is your quote. It fits absolutely perfect then to you. <laughs> perfect. Thank you so much, Rosie. Thank you so, so much. Cool. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Rosie as much as we did. This was such an eye-opening conversation for us. Rosie's journey is truly inspiring and made us realize how the small things we do for others can have such a big impact on their lives. Check out the show notes to find more about Rosie and some of the topics discussed today. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you could rate and subscribe to this podcast, as well as share it around you so that we can reach and empower more people to elevate their lives. If you wish to support our work, please check out our link tree where you can find a link to donate. See you next week for another exciting episode. Bye.